Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Giants Double Play, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Janie Hu, the Chronicles assistant sports editor, and I'm joined as always by our Giants beat writer, Henry Schulman. Hey Henry, thanks for joining us for this Giants season preview 2018 edition. Um, and I don't know how to start it any other way, but uh, it's a season preview that took kind of a turn for the worse uh, on the very last day of spring training. Yeah, I mean, we were even talking about it beforehand. Uh, it's something we probably talk about every last day of spring training where, you know, the teams come there and all they want to do is get in, get out, get on the plane, go home. But there always seems somewhere around the league to be one person who on that last day of spring training just gets uh, a serious injury. And it happened to be Madison Bumgarner this year. He stuck his hand up to stop a Whit Merrifield line drive that was going toward his chest in a game against the Royals. It broke the uh, fifth metacarpal on his left hand right at the pinky knuckle. Uh, he knew it was broken right away, out uh, at least until the beginning of a June, maybe mid-June, and that tosses everything into a tizzy. Yeah, it's did did the I mean, what was the reaction when it happened? It was just like a balloon, uh, air going out of a balloon. Everybody quiet and and knowing that it, it looked serious. Yeah, I mean they knew. I mean uh, by the way that Bum walked off the mound, there wasn't any argument about staying in. There wasn't any discussion. There wasn't right. any examination. He told them it's broken. And uh, in the clubhouse after the game, there's usually this. Uh, this kind of buzz on that last spring training game. Everybody is dressing up on, in their suits and their best clothes, just like they do on a, on a real road trip. Everybody is ready to get on that plane after all these weeks of spring training, get up to the San Francisco, get into the big stadium, set up their apartments. There's just joy and laughter and buzz, and that was really kind of missing uh, in the clubhouse afterwards, especially when Bumgarner walked in and he had this big wrap around his hand. And, you know, uh, Nick Hundley said it best. He said, no, it's not okay. This, not, not everything is okay. Uh, we can't say it's okay, but we get 24 hours to mourn this thing, and then we just got to go out and play baseball. And I think that uh, I, I wasn't there for the uh, Bay Bridge games, the early Bay Bridge games, but, uh, you know, the Giants went out and they played a really good game behind Johnny Cueto in the first one. It was a very uh, uplifting thing. Mm -hmm. uh, to have go to go out there, I think this Bay Bridge game was probably more important than any other bridge ga uh, game they played in a long time. Just to be able to go out there and and do what they did, and it, it sort of tells you a little bit like, okay, you know what, we're going to be okay. Right. Well, for better or worse, they went through this last season uh, when Madison Bumgarner obviously had his dirt bike accident. And we can go back and say maybe the, 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 the Giants didn't respond well, people didn't step up in his place. They're going to get the chance to do that this season from the get-go now. Yeah, and the interesting thing about last year was that the guy who stepped in uh, was Ty Block, and he did a remarkable job uh, early on. I mean, early on he was winning ball games, and they really didn't miss Madison Bumgarner uh, other than his presence on the mound and his bat, of course. But 
at the end, uh, Ty Block tailed off a little bit. I mean, he threw a lot more innings than he's accustomed to throwing. Right. Uh, and they're going to be going back to the same guy. Now, there's two big differences from last year. On the plus side, the offense is much better equipped to deal with a loss of not just one, but remember, Jeff Samarja, that's two pitchers. The offense is better equipped to deal with it because they have length in their lineup now. They went out and got some really good players, and they have an opportunity to win some of those 7-6, to 6-5 six, six to five games that they couldn't win. But on the downside, uh, they have no depth in that rotation. Uh, they made a gamble this offseason that they were going to spend their money on offense because that was the huge need. Uh, they, they took a chance that they would not need to go out and uh, get uh, extra pitching, that they thought the rotation would be okay. And uh, for now, they've lost that gamble. Now, they picked up Derek Holland on a minor league deal. That was a very smart thing for them to do. But all of their other depth right now is in the minor leagues. And these are guys who did not look ready in spring training to, to start a ball game. And uh, come around the uh, 10th or 12th of April, uh, one of those two dates, I've heard both, the Giants are going to need a fifth starter, and it'll be very, very interesting to see whom they pluck right. for that uh, assignment. Right. So I'm looking at the um, five questions heading into spring training, and that was number three on yours. Is the rotation strong enough? Um, obviously, now they're going to be without Madison Bumgarner for a couple months. Jeff Samarja um, with the pectoral strain. Are looking at let's let's give it let's say about a month. So everybody else moves up two spots now. Um, and like like you said, um, we've got tie block starting opening day. Give us a little insight on what the how you see the rest of the lineup looking. Uh, well, I mean, Johnny Cueto uh, is obviously a pitcher who has been a number one on two different teams, the Reds and the Royals. Uh, but one of the advantages of bringing him here uh, was to take that pressure off him because he didn't have to be the number one behind Baumgartner. Uh Now he's going to have to step up and be that guy again. Uh, Derek Holland is a guy who was an exceptional pitcher uh, in in the, his early years with the Rangers. He pitched against the Giants in the World Series in 2010. He was a guy with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and all sorts of good complimentary pitches. And then he had a terrible string of injuries that, believe it or not, started when he tripped over his dog while playing with him uh, in the offseason, uh, going up a staircase. He was racing with his dog. And that just really started a downward, down, downward spiral. But he's back. He's not throwing as hard as he used to, but he's a guy who knows how to pitch. And he, he showed in spring training that he knows how to pitch. And he's probably a number three or a number four starter at this stage of his career. But the Giants should be grateful to have that experience in there. Now you have Chris Stratton, who is also a three or a four, more like a four uh, starter. Uh, and, but he, he got some valuable experience last year. He's unafraid. Uh, he has the actual opportunity to step up and really pick up some of the innings and quality innings that they're losing with Samarja and Bumgarner. And and Block is pretty much, he was going to be a swing guy. He was not going to be the, uh, he probably would have been the number five starter in this rotation once the season began. And uh, you know what you're going to get with him. He's a strike thrower in the sort of Kirk Reeder mold. Uh, also, a lot like Reeder in that he doesn't throw hard. Uh, he he throws strikes. He works quickly. He uses a lot of deception. Uh, the one thing he's done well, though, uh, is uh, pitching against the Dodgers, with one exception last year. Um, he really he he kind of he kind of owned the Dodgers, and uh, I'm sure that went into uh, not only him starting opening day, but uh, if they stay with that four man rotation, he'd also face them again uh, on I believe it would be the eighth of April. 
Right. So now, as you're saying, to to fill out, um, the Giants get lucky with a couple of off days early on in the season so they can do a four-man rotation. But what should fans expect um, when you're looking toward the minors and, and who is there from guys like Suarez, or Andrew Suarez and Tyler Beattie? Well, uh, Beattie clearly was ahead of Suarez. Suarez did not have a good spring. Uh, he, he showed during spring training he's not ready. Uh, Tyler Beatty didn't quite look ready either, but he's advanced, more advanced than than Suarez. And what they could do, uh, if they so choose, is they could bring Beatty up uh, and make him sort of just a long reliever in these beginning games to just get his feet wet a little bit if they decide to go that way. Uh, and as a, a starter, you know they're going to need length from some of these guys in the rotation. And uh, they can get it from uh, a guy like Josh Osich is a guy who – but besides pitching fantastically this spring, he didn't allow a run. Uh, he's also a guy who can give you two, two and a third innings. Uh, that's uh, you know they're going to need somebody to fill that role that really Block would have filled uh, if if he didn't have to get thrust into the rotation. Uh, they also Derek Law is a guy who uh, is is a short guy but uh, short reliever. Uh, he was already sent out. He could be brought back. Uh, and I think just in general, the one thing we have to talk about is th- this was going to be a very bullpen-heavy team uh, to begin with. They had sort of gone into this season with the idea that aside from Bumgarner and maybe Samarja, this was going to be a team where you weren't going to rely on the starters to pitch as many innings and not face the opponents three times in the rotation. Right. So they were going to rely on the bullpen more, uh, kind of like what the Dodgers did last year. And now they're really going to have to rely on the bullpen. I mean, this you're, you'll see it in the opening series. I think you'll see a lot of pitching changes. Uh, and and Bochy is going to have to decide on which days to, you know, which guys to plug in. Uh, and he's going to have a lot of different options, both in long relief, middle relief, and late relief because of the personnel he has. And this is going to be the, the real something important to watch here in the uh, opening week. Right. Um, and obviously this, this isn't a part of opening week, but um, Will Smith, is he on track to come back um, in May? Yeah. Uh, I understand that he's going to throw his first live batting practice, which means you get up on the mound and you throw full speed to your own teammates. He's going to do that from what I understand on Saturday. He has not had a setback yet, um, and uh, so he's on a calendar to sort of come back around the 1st of May. Now, he was also a guy you could use for multiple innings when he was with the Brewers and when the Giants first got him. Now, I don't know that they would use him like that coming off Tommy John surgery. Right. Uh, but, yes, he, he, is on, he is on track to come back. That's another important arm because, uh, like, like the other left-handers the Giants have in their bullpen, uh, he is a guy who can face lefties and righties. Uh, you can use him as a left-handed specialist, but you can also use him to get right-handers out. And the more options you have in, in this bullpen, uh, the better off you are going to be. And it'll be interesting for me to see if the, the Giants uh, sort of do what the Dodgers did and use this new 10-day disabled list as sort of a taxi squad. And I mean, the Dodgers, I'm going to use the term abused. It, it's kind of unfair because they didn't do anything illegal. Every player has something you can disable them for. I mean, it's just the nature of athleticism. You can disable anybody. Everybody's got a little ache here or a pain there that you could say is a strain this or a pull that. And the Dodgers basically used the disable list to hide players so they could bring new ones in and use them uh, after you've sort of uh, overused the other guys. And, and the, the Giants really 
need to consider doing that as well because it, it worked for the Dodgers, and for now it's perfectly legal. Right. So the, the basic gist being that you can add players to the roster if you're hiding some of the guys on the disabled list temporarily. Yeah, partic- yeah particularly if it's a starting pitcher because with a 10-day disabled list, you can put a starting pitcher on there, and he only has to miss one turn. Right. Uh, so just, I mean, just as an example, if uh, the tie block makes five or six starts or whatever, say Samarja comes back, and uh, you know they they don't necessarily need tie block for a few days because he's just pitched, uh, and they could find some little thing that's wrong with him, and they can put him on the ten day disabled list, uh, bring up a fresh relief pitcher, uh, and then uh, when they've used a couple of relief pitchers, they could find something wrong with one of these relief pitchers, send him down and bring black a block back up when he's uh, when he's rested. Uh, and uh, it, it's really it's a flaw in the new system that I think needs to be addressed in uh, some sort of collective bargaining or in some sort of rulemaking. But for now, it's completely it's completely legal as long as you uh, are honest about a player having some sort of ailment. Right. You'd imagine the more teams that start doing that, that, that more attention that's going to get from MLB heads. Um, so one, uh, we've talked about the uh, rotation and the bullpen. One guy we haven't talked about is uh, Mark Melanson. So obviously a year ago was there was the Giants' prized free agent signing, and we certainly didn't see the best of Melanson last year as he dealt with injury. Um, what, what were your takeaways from spring training? Uh, well, it, it, it's kind of interesting because uh, he made that first spring training appearance after uh, they had slow played him. He had a one-two-three inning, and he did a very strange interview with us, where we, you know, we were trying to just get a sense of how his arm felt, and he wouldn't say it felt bad, but he wouldn't say it felt good either. So right. Clearly, clearly, there's something in there, and if you if you uh, go to the sfchronicle.com and go into the search page, uh, you can find that story. It was uh, from sometime uh, in uh, like mid March or early March, but uh, so there's something there's something still in there. Uh, and uh, at the same time, he, he threw really well as the games went on. Um, he, uh, I mean, you could see the fastball velocity was there, the, uh, the movement on the fastball. The curveball, which is his uh, signature out pitch, was exceptionally good. Uh, and uh, he really looked like the guy that they thought they were getting. Now, uh, they had him throw his first back-to-back where, uh, you know, you have him pitch two days in a row. That's a box that every reliever has to check off. Uh, in spring training, and in that second game that they put him out there, he got hit pretty hard. Uh, so it could be one of those things where early on they're going to try not to use him uh, back-to-back. That's where you having uh, a guy like Sam Dyson, if he's right, uh, and, and a Tony Watson uh, in the bullpen, or even a Hunter Strickland, the way Strickland threw this spring, you have a lot of options to go in there and close games. It doesn't have to be Melanson. Uh, and uh, I, I think early on, I think you'll see that Melanson will get the early opportunities to close, uh, but maybe on that second day, it might be somebody else, depending on how many pitches he threw. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting when you're uh, referencing uh, the conversation you had with Melanson, where he, you know, it seemed like he was very cautious about what he was saying, if he was he was felt good or not. And, um, you know, some guys will just tell you all the time, even if they are injured, that no, no, everything is well. And that just reminded me of Samarja when he came out of the uh, minor league game, initially saying, like, downplaying um, his injury. Yeah, he didn't. I wouldn't say he downplayed it. I would say that he flat out didn't tell us the truth. I mean, it was clear that he was hurt because 
He had thrown 73 pitches. The uh, coaches on staff there told us he was going to go 90. He came out in the middle of an inning after giving up a double, two homers, and hitting a guy. And you could see him in the dugout. You could actually see him showing, lifting his arm up and moving it around and showing somebody what was wrong. And then he came out and said he was fine and that he was just working through some things. And some guys just don't like to admit they're hurt. And, and I think right. he really, even to himself, didn't want to admit that this was something that was going to uh, cost him the start of the season. Right, right. Um, in, in terms of uh, spring training and, and getting a first look at guys uh, this season, the big free agent, or the, the big, sorry, not free, not free agent, trade acquisitions, um, in, in a sense, uh, Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria, can you give us a sense of what, how you, your, um, Let's see. I would say your assessments, but not just on the field and how how these guys looked, but how they were fitting into the clubhouse dynamic as well. Well, uh, the clubhouse. I think you need to give it a little bit of time. They they both were rather quiet. I think McCutcheon, toward the end, he he started to open up a little more. Uh, but it, it's tough on these guys because. Uh, they have been the leaders of their teams, and now they've come into a team that has all these guys who've won all these World Series rings. And I, you didn't see a lot of yakking and uh, and stuff from Longoria and McCutcheon, at least in the areas where we were allowed to go into. Uh, McCutcheon uh, was actually quite funny about some stuff when he came out of uh, uh, a recent game, uh, just kind of joking around about a, a called third strike that he that he took. So he was he was kind of branching out a little bit there. Uh, on the field, uh, McCutcheon surprised me a little bit, uh, you know, because he had lost his center field job to uh, Starlin Marte in Pittsburgh. You got this impression, uh, also because the defensive metrics, which I don't put a lot of stock in, but you know, they they sort of were down on him. We got this impression that this was an aging outfielder uh, who was going through sort of what Pence has gone through, and, and it really didn't look like that. I mean, he really looks like he can move out there. He's got a, a better arm than I thought he was going to show. Uh, and I thought he did really well. Um, uh, overall, the bat came around. He started to hit for uh, gap power toward the end of spring. Uh, Longoria was slowed up by a uh, foot injury. Uh, it's a little scary because he says that he has this sort of chronic uh, plantar fasciitis. Uh, it'll help him not playing on turf like he did on Tampa. But it took him a while to uh, start getting into the swing of it uh, on offense um, he hit a lot of singles. I think we're going to see more power from him, but his defense was fantastic. And uh, having not spent a lot of time watching Longoria, the thing that just struck me is how soft his hands are. I mean, if, if Giants fans remember having Matt Williams, I mean, those, they were like baby soft hands. He reminds me a little bit of that, and I really think that Longoria is going to make a huge impact. Even if he struggles a little bit at the plate, he's going to make a huge impact out in the field. Right. Um, were there other surprises? What were the other surprises for you um, from camp, let's say, on offense and defense? Well, uh, I, I would say that offensively, uh, Pablo surprised me a little bit, Pablo Sandoval. Um, he really looks like uh, the player he was in uh, 2012, uh, 2013, you know, when he, when he was at his, I'll say, at his thin years with the Giants. Uh, he's hitting right-handed. Uh, not great, but uh, not serviceable. as bad as he was. Serviceable, <laughs> serviceable. yeah. Serviceable. I wrote, I wrote this in a story toward the end of camp. Serviceable enough so that if there's a left-handed uh, pitcher and they want to give Brandon Belt uh, a day off, uh, they could conceivably have uh, Pablo play uh, first base. And, and uh, you know, Hundley could catch and they could actually give Buster a full, full day off so that 
he gets a rest he needs, uh, but serviceable from the right side. And from the left side, we, we, we have seen the power, the pop uh, that we saw before he went to Boston. Uh, it's there. Uh, and uh, he, he's going to be very valuable in the ninth inning. Uh, this is one thing the Giants have lacked for years is that left-handed power threat. Who, if you're down uh, a run in a game and uh, the opposing team's right-handed closer is in there, and you need that one guy that the, the the closer has to think about in the back of his mind that this guy could come up, pop one, and tie or win this game, uh, and they'll have that with Pablo, and that 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 sort of surprised me uh, a little bit. Uh, and uh, defensively, he's he's looked pretty good too. Uh, and, and the surprise there is he's looked good at first base. Uh, even did the splits the other day, which is uh, you know what kind of cost him uh, a hamstring injury a few years back when he wasn't <laughs> right. in the best of shape. So uh, Pablo, Pablo's a big one there for me. Right. Um, how about um, defensively? Any wild card there? Um, not not so much defensively. I would say on the pitching side, uh, you know, Derek Holland is definitely going to be a wild card, and I've talked about him a little bit earlier in this podcast. Uh, you know, you get you see these guys signed to minor league deals, and you know they haven't pitched well, and they've been hurt, and you don't really think much of it. And then you see them take the mound, and you see glimpses of what made them really good pitchers. And this is a six, this guy was a 16 game winner uh, a few years back. Uh, my apologies to those who don't think much about pitcher wins, but he was a really good pitcher for the Rangers. And uh, if he can, you know, maybe pick up as the season goes on, pick up another mile or two of velocity, which does happen. Uh, as these guys uh, move along in the season. And, and I, I really do think he could be um, a, uh, a benefit for the Giants in the rotation and in the bullpen uh, down the road if they acquire other starters or uh, some of these kids come up and they give them an opportunity. I want to mention one name, too, that the, our listeners and readers probably don't know very much about. But the Giants uh, have a minor leaguer named Derek Rodriguez, and I wrote about him. He is the son of Yvonne Rodriguez, the Hall of Fame catcher. And uh, I don't know that he's ready for the major leagues, but here's a big, strong 25-year-old pitcher who was converted from the outfield uh, four years ago. He's only been pitching for four years. And I have been – his stuff has really, really impressed me. Uh, I mean, he's got a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. It's got life on it. Um, and uh, he's got the all the off-speed pitches. He's fearless. He can throw strikes. And I, I think that uh, we'll, let's put that name uh, in the back of your mind for some time later this season. Uh, he is a starter, uh, but it's, uh, again, like, like Beattie or some of these other uh, kids who have come up and gotten sort of um, introduced into the majors in long relief. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Derek Johnson, another name to remember from the minors. I'm sorry, Derek Rodriguez. I got confused with the next guy I was going to mention, <laughs> Pierce Johnson. Uh, he's a relief pitcher who uh, has some major league experience with the Cubs. He was uh, he's on a minor league deal. He's going to start the year in Sacramento. That's another guy for down the road. Keep keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on those numbers from Sacramento. Right, and Derek uh, Derek Rodriguez, D R E C K. Uh, C.K. Rodriguez, right. right. And uh, so so if there's any truth to the adage that behind every good pitcher is a good catcher, he's got a pretty good leg up on everyone uh, with his dad. Uh. Yeah, and, and uh, I guess if uh, he does make it to the majors, we're going to see a lot more replays of uh, <laughs> J.T. Snow getting just crushing Yvonne Rodriguez and Yvonne holding on to the ball to end the 2003 2003 playoffs. And uh, when I asked Derek about that, he kind of smiled and he said, oh, you mean the time my dad got trucked? 
<laughs> I hadn't heard that term before. It made me laugh. <laughs> Those kids these days and their terminology. <laughs> yeah, trucked. Uh, so, uh, which, this was your, it's, it's uh, 30, I'm going to be, I don't know the exact year of spring training that, that's in the bag now? Yeah, just about 29 or 30, somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, I think it was a year or two I didn't go to spring training uh, way back when, when I worked for a different paper that didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's about, about 30 of them, yeah. Any big changes this year or that, that you've seen? Um, highlights, uh, personal highlights, lowlights even? Well, uh, I mean, I, I think that uh, the, the biggest change that you've seen in the last few years is as more and more ballparks have been built that are, are much larger, uh, we know that spring training has become a business, but now you're seeing crowds of 15,000 and uh, – it just you know the Giants now have uh, one of the oldest stadiums uh, still left. Uh, it might very well be the oldest stadium now. They I mean they re they built it in '92 and they've refurbished it a couple of times. And uh, one of the uh, reporters who's actually based in Arizona told me that uh, they are actually going to have a, a three phase uh, project to uh, modernize Scottsdale Stadium. Uh, oh, wow. Even further, uh, and uh, I haven't checked on that yet because I've been busy with uh, Bumgarner's uh, Bumgarner's hand. But uh, that'll be interesting uh, too, because I mean Scottsdale Stadium uh, is uh, you know I mean it, it, it's big. I mean you can get eleven, twelve thousand people in there, but it's not as big as some of the other park parks. And and fans who have gone to Scottsdale Stadium also know that compared to some of the other parks down there, uh, the concourses are rather narrow. If you got a big crowd, it's sort of hard to get get around there. So I'll be uh, interested to dig into that and see what's going on there. Yeah, that'll be a really, uh, if, if they, it is interesting to see these other teams, uh, even the A's and, and stuff, kind of re, redo their stadiums. And uh, you realize that the, that, that the, the kind of business that it's become. So. Yeah. And the other thing from the Giants perspective is that um, they still play in a facility and work out in a facility that uh, only has uh, two full fields and two half fields. They just added a second half field. And what those are used for in spring training is when they want to do bunting drills or infield drills, anything where you don't have to have an outfield. Uh, but these new modern facilities that, that they all have now, if you see them, if you've ever gone to uh, you know where the Dodgers and uh, White Sox uh, train or where the Reds and the Indians train, they have like eight full fields. They have complete weight facilities. Right now the Giants' weight room is in a giant tent. Uh, so... I, I think that uh, there will also be improvements uh, to the facilities that allow them to train better and, and perhaps even if they can find the space, uh, even bring their minor leaguers into the same complex because right now the minor leaguers train in a completely different uh, part of the world and it's not as easy for the staff to go see them. Uh, they have to hop in a car and uh, drive over there. Uh, so I'll, I'll be interested to see if, if those improvements will be made as well. Right. And you mentioned the minor leagues, and um, I, I don't want to be remiss um, for our readers and listeners. Henry also wrote a fantastic piece about um, David Bell being hired to kind of overhaul the minor league um, system. And what he did talk a lot about was, like, the synergy that's involved. Yeah. Uh, you know, this even surprised me. I knew the Giants were going to try and modernize their farm system. But I didn't realize they're going to go whole hog uh, metrics and biometrics, and uh, I mean, you know, if a guy, if a hitter is slumping, they're not just going to look at his swing; they're going to see what he's eating. They're going to ask him if everything's okay at home. Uh, David Bell called it a holistic approach, and, and again, if you can find 
that story on sfchronicle.com, use the search and, and search for David Bell uh, and my byline, uh, and I, I really do think it's an interesting read. It's a very radical change, and I, I didn't see this, but others who had gone over to the farm system, this is not in the story, but uh, they had a very regimented uh, training. Uh, they went from station to station. It was a, a little more militaristic than, uh, not full military, but it was a little more, uh, you know, sort of on the clock, uh, like they do in football. I don't know if you've ever been to a football practice, but you do your drill, and then they, they right. blow a horn, and you move over to the next drill, and then they blow a horn. Now, I don't know that they had a horn, but it sounds like they've really sort of changed things in the minor league system. Anything to give them an edge to try and get some of these kids up, which has kind of been a not not been one of the most successful aspects of this organization, especially last year. Right, right. No, I did that. That story, um, it, it's well worth a read, and uh, I, I like how you presented it. Which is, it's pro- it's not the sexiest topic, but it's it's an important one that has um, effects down the road. We're, we're talking about Absolutely. how they're right. kind of uh, the trying to change the um, the philosophy and the mindset to, of it. So. Henry, as always, uh, we thank you for joining us. And uh, given this new um, MLB calendar, we've got the regular season starting in March on a Thursday night. So it's it's going to be a bit of a bit of a change for everybody here. Yeah, you know, I mean, they did this. They they had a few years where they started the season on a Wednesday, and uh, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I don't think it's it's going to make that that big a deal. I will say there's going to be one difference that you're going to notice in. Uh, baseball this year. There's a lot more off days this year because that was written into this collective bargaining agreement, and that's why spring training was compressed this year. So usually they would play 162 games in 180 days. Now they're going to play 162 games in 187 days. And so what you're going to see is a lot more days off at home, and I think that will especially help teams like the Giants who are on the West Coast and have to do a lot of cross-country travel, a lot of their off days have been consumed with cross-country flights. Now they're going to get a lot of days off where they don't have to travel at all. And uh, that does take a toll, that travel. And I, I think that's going to help teams like the Dodgers, Giants, and A's more than, say, teams like the, the Cubs and, and St. Louis who play in the middle part of the company uh, country. Something something to watch this year. Right. You're, you're saying that the West Coast teams have to just travel that much further to get places. Well, it, yeah, they have to travel that much further, and that's what they use their off days for. Uh, and, and there's also going to be some changes this year uh, in the rules on um, when you can when teams have to be forced to play a day after a long trip. Uh, I think gone are the days when you would have to play an East Coast night game and then play a West Coast night game the same uh, the next night. I mean, you have teams uh, that are very stubborn, like the Dodgers, who will not move a game from a night game to a day game to help the other team in terms of travel. Well, now some of that is going to be memorialized in the rules, and and teams are not going to have a choice. They're going to have to have day games on some of these weekdays um, to uh, to make sure that both teams have an opportunity to travel and rest before they play the next day. Something else to watch. Right. All right. Well, we'll see how this all plays out, and we will be checking in with you regularly um, from the road and hopefully get you in the studio again, too. I look forward to it. All right. Take care. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. 
For more Giants coverage, you can follow Henry on Twitter at Hank Shulman and me at Janie underscore who. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.